Money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success, others use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. Our guest today is Diana Williams, founder and CEO of Fernwood Fitness. Diana established Fernwood Fitness in 1989 when she recognised that women needed a place of their own to exercise and reach their health and fitness goals. From humble beginnings in Bendigo, Fernwood impressively now has 70 clubs situated in every state and territory of the country. Their aim is to empower women to shine and focus on creating a community of women within their clubs. Diana was awarded the National 2005 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year after previously winning both the Westpac Business Owner Award and the overall State Award for Victoria. She was also inducted into the Australian Women's Hall of Fame in 1999, then in 2000 went on to publish her first book, The Women's Club. Diana, welcome to the Tilly Money podcast. It's a pleasure to be here and have a chat with you today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you for a number of reasons today, Diana, because you certainly are an incredible name um, in the business area of fitness and you also um, have identified a real niche in the market there and promoted women um, in, in doing that, you know. So you've given a, a real boost even through your book, The Women's Club, and I want to talk about that more later. I want to even share that um, you won the Businesswoman of the Year. I wasn't judging that year, but I did from about 2010 onwards, so I've got a lot in common. And I am also in the Australian Women's Hall of Fame. So there you go. Lots lots of commonalities. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, tell, tell me, Diana, tell us, um, when you created Fernwood Fitness, um, how did you kind of identify that gap in the market, you know, and this idea of a... a Girls only gym, I guess. Well, actually, it was not. Um, it was not when I first started. It was no intention of it to becoming a a national chain or a huge business. What I what it was was I went to a mixed gym and saw a, a need for a place where women would be able to go and work out and feel comfortable in a an exercising environment without having all of the blokey kind of things that go on in gyms you know when I went I, I got very involved with strength training and I was so impressed with how good it was for women to do weight training and strength training and yet women never did that in a mixed gym because that was where the blokes went the guys went and worked out with the weights the girls did the aerobics so that was the reason for doing it I just thought it would be place, a, a, a good idea to have a place where women could go and just enjoy each other's company and have fun in a more female-friendly environment where we have all those special little touches that women appreciate, but we also have, um, you know, a good serious weight program for them to work out and get results. So when I first started, it was no intention of ever becoming a, anything more than just a little gym for women. Um, it grew because of the fact that women... Uh, that came and joined up they were so impressed and it grew really quickly lots and lots of members coming in and they'd say oh um, this is a fantastic concept I wish there was one of these where I live you know uh, one thing led to another over the first 
two or three years that I started Fernwood and and so the idea of expansion sort of grew, but it wasn't the initial reason. The initial reason was just to create a, a place where women could go and work out. Um, and, of course, the business side of it, that grew as soon as I, I started Fernwood, then the um, all of the business acumen that I needed, I had to learn very quickly. But I enjoyed that. It was a very enjoyable part of running the business and, you know, Back then, of course, I was the gym instructor and the receptionist and the cleaner and and the marketer and you know I, I did everything. That's, hmm. That's so but, much um, someone starting out is you're doing everything. You well, were right. home mum yourself at the time, were you? And as you said, you had to learn the business. But take us through that journey because you're not just learning the business; then you're also having to understand this whole idea of franchising too. So take us through that story, Di. Yes, well, of course, you know, when I first started franchising, I thought this is going to be wonderful. We're going to have all these people just like me running running their Fernwoods around the country um, and we'd be all part of the one lovely club. But, you know, obviously franchising is not quite like that. There has to be a boss. There has to be somebody who's in charge and, and there is a little bit of a them and me um, culture even if, no matter what you do, to try and stop that. I think we have a very good culture at Burnwood within our franchise system where our franchisees do feel as though they're listened to and they and, and that we have an open-door policy. They can ring me up and talk to me about anything. Um, but at the same time, it's a little bit different. But it was a big learning curve in the start to um, understand franchising and understand the implications of franchising Fortunately, back then I engaged a, uh, a consultant to advise me. Had I not done that, I probably would have made mistakes, you know, by giving projections, <laughs> all that sort of thing. Because I was so passionate about the business, I know that I would have no doubt said things to franchisees leading me into a troubled waters. Yes. Um, you know, I was I was educated in the, the what to say and what not to say and how to get people to buy a franchise or grant them a franchise rather than trying to sell it, you know. Um, yes. And we've always had that sort of that culture, I suppose, of um, not just allowing anybody to come in and buy a franchise if we're not, if we don't feel they're going to be successful. Of course, we have some that, that are not as good as others, um, but we have a very strong sort of uh, criteria for them to meet up to. You, you know, sometimes you you do have franchise people coming in to want to buy a franchise, and they they say all the right things, and then they open up their doors, and oh, they're not really cut out for it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, they can sell up and move on and find something more suitable for them but the secret with a strong franchise has been around for such a long time like ours has is to get good franchisees who are happy in the system and um, are making good money. I guess the ultimate thing breakthrough of franchise certainly franchising in this country was certainly McDonald's you know yes. where you know the McDonald brothers you know there were two of them and it was Ray Kroc who was basically selling products to McDonald's at the time who saw this great business model but the idea was it was called McDonald's unlike you you're you haven't called this Williams <laughs> no <laughs> because the McDonald brothers didn't ever think that they could reproduce themselves they said oh but we've got to be in this franchise we can't be all over the country because all they saw was their business being McDonald's but you've had a bigger insight 
you called it Fernwood Fitness. Was there a Fernwood? What made you think of that name? <laughs> no, not really. Actually, I was going to call it Zanana. I thought that was, I was about to register the name Zanana. It looked really great graphically. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the name I'd chosen for the business. And just before I went to register it, I thought it doesn't really say what the business is. I wanted it to to explain what what for, what the business would mean. I wanted it to be a place where women could go and feel comfortable oh. and take time out for themselves and, and you know, just enjoy exercising and working out together and having fun and and so I envisaged a place sort of in a forest which was a nice relaxing place in a stream and I tried to come up with words that described that place and I made lots and lots of words up and combinations of words of fern and wood and gully and all those kind of words Mm -hmm. and um I went through the postcode book and found there was no place in Australia called Fernwood so that's how I came across the name Fernwood doesn't mean anything um, except the fact it's a, it's a place where I think would be a lovely place to go and take time out for myself. Yeah, um, yeah so um, it, of course when we first started people thought it was a nursery. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. Well, the fitness side kind of tells you what it is as well. So yes. Unlike, unlike the McDonald brothers, you had a business mindset from the start it would seem, whether you're aware of it or not, because you separated it from, you separated your name from the business. Yes. In the McDonald's case, Ray Kroc came along and he said, well, you don't have to be there. You've got the great system, the great model. We'll replicate the system. So you've gone and said, we'll do that through a franchise model. You brought in the expert consultant. Okay, so... But let's go back one step, and I use the word system and processes, you know. So what? who helped you there? Was that your consultant or were you always very systems-minded, process-minded? It kind of evolved over the years, I think, really. Um, it didn't um, – no, no, no one particular person. I am not a systems processor person. I'm an entrepreneur, 1,000 miles an hour, looking forward all of the time and never looking back. Um, and I'm the visionary, I suppose, but I'm not the systems person. So I have to employ people that do that for me um, to put things in place and, and make sure that we have compliance. In the early days, our compliance wasn't good. We had, you know, so busy growing um, and reaching that critical mass um, it, that we didn't really have a good, strong compliance system. That's that's come over the years and now we've got a very good compliance system but um, I don't think my strength is in that it's obviously in business you hire people that can do the things that you're not very good at and you keep on doing the things that that you find is where your strengths are so uh, I have a lot of people on my team who um, are quite happy to push back when I'm wanting to do something or you know they make sure that everything is followed to the letter that the brand is followed the other thing about it is with Fernwood, we have such a strong brand that our franchisees are very proud of. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want it to be dis, um, diluted or, you know, they don't like franchisees that are not following the rules. Um, and so they're, in a way, compliance managers as well because they're very, very passionate about the brand and how it's represented. Mm. Did you ever decide to go over the ditch to New Zealand or did you ever think about expansion or were you quite happy to have your I think you've got 70 
Um, is it? Yeah, I think it's about 72, I think. But we've got, um, we had, we did over the years, I think just before the GFC actually, we'd made quite a concerted effort to go overseas. Um, but when the uh, financial crisis hit, we came scurrying back to look after Australia and make sure Australia was, was strong. Um, and so actually right now we are looking again at, at um, over the overseas market, the global market, because it's such a, the world is such a small place, obviously, with everything shut down at the moment. But, um, you know, there is huge opportunity for us um, in other countries around the world. So I'm sure we'll see Fernwood in uh, other countries before, before too long. That sounds great. Good luck with that. Um, Diana, I'm going to give you a really big tick you know here because when Fernwood started as I said when I introduced you that was 1989 now I know myself you know being around in that era I've always been into fitness but there weren't a lot of gyms and fitness clubs but you must look around you at all these you know gyms and everybody's been so fanatical about fitness you're smiling as I'm talking to you you were a real leader in this area you must smile in that respect do you with what you did back in 89 and what you see happening now well thank you for the tick but really i was not i wasn't i'm not one for looking to grab a great share of the market i'm just do what what i do well and what the brand does well and we we stick to our core of, of what we do um there's been so many people come into the fitness market from when when Fernwood first started, and but then there's a lot more people exercising than there was back then as well. It was not something that everybody did. You know, people didn't join a gym. Now, people exercise. Everybody does some kind of exercise. It's it's sort of becoming a um, it's something that everybody does, and there's a lot more people joining gyms, and there's a lot more gyms for them to join. Um, we've been fortunate to have a niche in the market that nobody else has really been able to capture. Uh, we've had a few come and try, but they haven't lasted. And so we've got our own our own piece of the market, and we just stay with doing what we do best and um, make sure that uh, we're always innovating and we're always refreshing our brand. We're always staying current. I mean, women who joined Fernwood back in over 30 years ago are totally different to the women today. You know, they're back then people women were shy and didn't have the confidence to go into a mixed gym today women join Fernwood because they want their own place they're more independent they that's what they choose to do for a whole different reason mm. even still I agree with you on all those counts but I still think it's nice because often you don't want those blokes who can be sweating in a different capacity or doing whatever you know you quite happen to be amongst the gals but um that's right I, you know, I've been in business like you a long time as well, Di, and uh, we all make mistakes and we learn from them. Have you made over that time some wrong decisions, could even be wrong franchisees, maybe we won't go there, but, but <laughs> what, did you learn? what did you learn? What were they in brief and what kind of lessons, yeah. more importantly, did you learn? Okay, I suppose the most vital lesson that I've learned in the early days and still today, I mean, obviously, um, we're much more solid and sound business. But back in the early days, when the cash was um, was was very light, we didn't have a lot of cash um, coming in. Um, I maybe spent money before I had it. 
Mm. You know, you plan on things happening that don't happen. You think there's money going to come in and then something happens, that money doesn't come in, but you've already spent it. Mm. Uh, and so the biggest lesson I've learned would be just to make sure that the, the, the rainy day, you need to keep that money safe for a rainy day. You never know when it's going to be. You never know, no matter how successful and how profitable you are, you mm. just never know. You never know um, when the global financial crisis hit, for instance, Nobody predicted that, you know. Um, nobody knew there was going to be a pandemic and we've, you know, been in lockdown for such a long time. So having cash is is the biggest, most valuable lesson I learnt in the early days. Way back then I used to use my credit card to pay the wages. I'd buy gym memberships in the gym and put the money in the banks through my credit card so I could so the staff would get paid, you know. And you did what you had to do to stay in business. It was not the right thing to do, but you just you have to have that tenacity and that resilience to just do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you you learn a lot from that. You, mm-hmm. you know, the pain of anxiety of not having any money um, soon teaches you to make sure that, you know, you... Um, you're going to make sure you keep the money in the bank and you don't don't spend it until you've got it. And even though your business plan might say this is going to happen, there's some you never know what's around the corner. No, it's so true. I mean, there's been so many surveys of business owners like yourself, entrepreneurs, over the years, and they've asked them this question: What keeps you awake at night? And what you just said is always the answer. It's about cash flow, and. Uh, yeah. Because what people don't realise is you've got big wage bills to pay. It's not that you're not doing well. It's sometimes, as you said, that for some reason the money didn't come in, the bill came in, but the the revenue didn't. So very common, yeah, very common. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. For almost 30 years, Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers have been helping Australians just like you realise their property ownership goals. They put your best interests as their top priority because they work for you, not lenders. Whether you are looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork for you. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 13 77 62 to speak to your local broker today. Di, in terms of you mentioned about, you know, the global financial crisis and the impact there, how have you managed through this pandemic when lockdowns have been extended? I guess in some states in WA, you know, I'm not sure where your 72... um, Fernwood fitness outlets are, but I imagine a lot of them would be in New South Wales and Victoria where the lockdowns have been so extended. How have you found yeah. that and how have you got around it? Well, I think it, it has been difficult. Um, the biggest, the most um, challenging thing is to keep our franchisees positive um, and, and keep them looking forward to when this pandemic will be over rather than you know, dwelling on something they can do nothing about. So staying very much, you know, in in the um, first probably 12 months, I spent a lot of time running webinars and invited guests to, 
to come in to talk to them about various ways ways that they can improve their business while they're in lockdown that they could work on um, working on their business and looking forward taking the opportunity to start off with a blank canvas if there's something in their business that's not profitable they can change it um, make some changes while the, while the club is closed up closed down you know, make some not not expensive, but um, cosmetic changes. So when the mem when they open up again, it's all looking very positive. So the first probably twelve months of the of the lockdown was spent a lot on just motivating our franchisees and keeping them in a very positive m mode. We've kind of got used to it now. We've been in lockdown for such a long time, um, and now we're the light's starting to glow at the end of the tunnel, and so we'll be open in business. It will be a slightly different business model when we open. We've also um, had a lot of uh, put a lot of energy into our online programs as well. So we've been able to. We were very fortunate to have that anyway, but now we've spent all of it, a lot more energy on making that even better. So our members have got an online presence, and we we have spent a lot of energy on keeping in contact with our members and making sure that they're they're okay. Um, you know, everybody has been hit at one from one. Um, degree or another with an anxiety issue <laughs> no matter how strong we are we've all got the same thing so it's just being able to be positive and, and work through that it's been a different kind of a uh, dilemma than the global financial crisis I suppose it's a little bit different but um, but at, at the same time it's just a challenge that we have to overcome and you know my focus is always making sure our franchisees are okay making sure that you know if they when they come out of this that they're going to have good strong businesses mm -hmm. so true you know as i'm listening to you diana i you know i'm seeing somebody who must have been a pretty adventurous you know quite young woman um back in 1989 um a lot younger than i am now yes that's for sure <laughs> like, you know it's, you must have been so courageous to see what you built over the years, and as you said, you've been through. Well, there was a you know a couple of massive recessions we've had since then. We've had a massive global financial crisis, and now the pandemic. Tell us about you when you started out. What qualities, looking back at the age and the position you are now, you know, do you see yourself back then and identify that? What was it, the gutsy young woman that must have? You know, I don't, I don't, yeah, I know what you're saying. I suppose one of the things that happened, it doesn't, if you'd asked me back then, you know, in 1989, you know, if you'd said to me, okay, well, you're going to be now in charge of this company, you're going to have businesses all around Australia, you're going to be in charge of, you know, thousands of people and uh, making decisions on leasing and all kinds of things, that I would have laughed at you because. <laughs> It grows, you know, you give one thing after the other and one foot in front of the other and you just keep moving the goalposts as your vision keeps growing. And so you don't all of a sudden wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to do this huge thing. You know, it, it, it kind of grows, if you know what I mean. I had, a, when I grew up, I grew up on a farm um, and my parents were hardworking, very hardworking, and they also... You know, I don't know whether you know much about farm life, but there's not a regular income, you know. Money comes in and then it doesn't. And, you know, there's droughts and um, all kinds of things that impact the, the farming revenue. Um, and I think I probably got a lot of that from my parents because they were hardworking, successful farmers, but very hardworking. And there were some times when they had lots of money because the 
the wool check would come in or something, you know, and they'd go and buy a new car and a new tractor and all of those sorts of things. And then there were other times when things were lean, you know, and so I guess I did learn a lot from them subconsciously about life and mm. it's not a matter of a nine-to-five job. You get up at five o'clock in the morning or you and you go to bed at 11 o'clock at night if that's what has to happen. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't got the money, then you manage manage that accordingly. You're not going to get a, a regular weekly pay and you're not going to work nine to five. And, yeah. and I think that's probably why um, I've been able to, you know, do this because I've had that not intentionally but it's been in the back of my mind that that's what life is like. So as you say that you learned a lot through osmosis and then obviously having your parents who were great leaders, even though you wouldn't have probably as a young girl said, oh, they're business owners, but they are, you know, and they're facing, you know, so many variations in climate and droughts and then too much rain. And so, yeah, who else? So obviously you had that great demonstration affect all your life. Who else influenced you? What other type of mentors did you have? And People ask me this a lot and I really haven't, I don't really come up with anyone in particular. I, in the early days I used to read a lot um, and go to a lot of seminars and, you know, conferences, things where I would learn from other people. No one in particular. Um, I would just say I, I, I pick up what other people do and put my own twist on it but, um, you know, we all learn from each other. Um, regardless of what it is, and I think that um, I can't really come up with any particular mentor that I had or anyone that I learned from. I just um, a bit from every learn a bit from everyone. Many people a bit from everyone. No, I can't give you a name. Yeah, no, that's fine. In terms of you mentioned before, you know that you would never envisage that you had seventy-two operations around the country and a thousand people and. You be at the the um the driver of that, which is means that you're a leader. What have you learned about leadership over the years, Joan? Oh, a lot. <laughs> yes. I'm a lot better leader today than I was 30 years ago. Um, you certainly learn learn a lot. Um, when you're at the coalface, you know, um, most of the people I employ are women. Um, so you know, they uh, we do have some male um, employees as well, but. Um, and there's some fantastic um, leaders amongst amongst my team and also our franchisees because they also are all good leaders of their own businesses. So um, I think the thing that I've learned more than anything is, um, is just to be firm but be empathetic and give, give good, clear direction but also follow that up with accountability um, and understanding and let people get on, hire people who are good at what they do and not necessarily what I do, what good at what I do, but good at what they do, um, and then let them get on with it, give them some clear direction um, and, and probably stand in their shoes occasionally and think of it, think of... Um, their, their work from their point of view rather than my point of view. Mm. There's lots of things that you learn along the years. You know, from when I first started, I was a totally different um, leader mm. than I am now. Um, obviously, I've, I've got a lot older and a lot wiser um, and you can only get that through years of experience. Mm, it's very true. 
When you say that you employ a lot of women, is that because it's a gym or do you like, can you identify things that are different, better, um, more suitable? You know, what do we have, what, what do women have that you look for or you like? Is it more than yeah. that it's a women's gym? Oh, absolutely. It's probably got, it has got a little bit to do with the fact that it's a women's gym because they understand what women want um, from our marketing and a brand point of view. But um, look, I, I just think that women are fantastic. They, they, they have a lot of qualities that they don't pat, them, pat themselves on the back with. They, they tend to don't have the self-confidence perhaps that they should. But there's a lot of qualities that women as leaders have. They've, you know, they've, they've been mothers, a lot of them. They've, they've been decision makers. They know what to do. They're strong. Um, but they still have that empathetic um, strength. And they're not, they don't pat them, they don't sort of stick out their chest and, and say, look what I've done, you know. They bring the team with them and they're more team players, I think. They're not competitive in the workplace with other, well, maybe some of them might be a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> only in a good way. You know, I, I think they're not, there's not that um, element of, of, of being proud as a peacock, you know. They're a bit more, show a bit more humility. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I find they're good to work with, but especially because we're a women's gym, they understand what our members want mm -hmm. and um, they just get it. Mm -hmm. No, I, I take everything you say on board. I'd like you to go back to, you know, we talk about this young die, you know, back in 1989, or you can go back even earlier. If you had a chance now to go and sit beside her somewhere, maybe outside the gym, maybe in a beautiful nursery or a beautiful um, wood, a fern wood, <laughs> ferns. Yeah. Do you think there's some things you'd like to say to her, you know, that uh, younger yeah. might also like to hear from you? Yes, I think so. I think I would like to say you don't know how much potential you've got. Mm. You, you really have a lot of potential. Just, you know, I suppose because when I was a young girl, women didn't have a lot of um, opportunities that, that men had. Back in the day, we, we earned half as much money as men. You know, my mother expected me to stop work as soon as I got married and, uh, you know, she was horrified when I started a business because it was not what um, the, the general feeling was that that's what men did and women shouldn't take their opportunities away from men. Um, so I would say to um, I would say to myself, you take the opportunity, you have as much ability as your brothers or anybody else and you can go on there and do it. You just have to be, as long as you find what you want to do and you're passionate about about it, um, the world is your oyster. Mm, that's fabulous. I love that word passion as well because I can still see, I've got the luxury, this is a podcast, but I've got the luxury of seeing you on video and I can see a passionate woman. So start. <laughs> It's been incredibly good talking to you, Diana, and um, I know how well you've done over the years. I also would like to come back, if your time allows, to talk to you about some specific things because you've obviously been good at developing a franchise, a recognisable franchise that's been ongoing for such a long time, and also about the marketing components of that. So if you would, and another time, you know, join us again because we know your story and we can refer people to this great story and then maybe we could get into some business specifics. I'd be happy to do that, Maureen. It would be my pleasure.
Terrific. It's been fabulous talking to you. I look forward to the next time, Diana. Thank you. Stay safe. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up to date with all of our content, follow us on Instagram at tilly.money. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music.